Made in America podcast celebrates the pride and heritage found in American manufacturing. In each episode, we have a one-on-one conversation with a founder, owner, or leader of a company that is made in America. We hear their stories in their own words, get to know them, and hopefully learn a little something. In this episode, we meet Bernie Stone, owner of Stone Custom Drum from Fort Wayne, Indiana. Bernie has spent decades building his reputation and honing his skills building custom drums for some of the biggest names in music today. Bernie defied the odds when he purchased an abandoned drum manufacturing machine that had been used to make iconic Slingerland drums in Chicago. And the rest is history. Made in America. Hey, this episode of Made in America, we're really psyched to have Bernie Stone of Stone Custom Drums from Fort Wayne, Indiana on the Made in America podcast. Hey, Bernie, welcome to Made in America, man. Well, it's uh, glad to be here. Uh, uh, thanks for inviting me to cool. join on the podcast. Yeah, yeah, no, really psyched. And, you know, uh, we'll, we'll kind of go through, I want to hear everything about, you know, um, Stone Drums, talk about, and I, and I really want to know about the Stone Tone. I can't wait to hear about that. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be cool. So, but, but yeah. hey, man, tell us a little bit about yourself, um, you know, and then we'll kind of get going. So, um, you know, how, how, where, where are you from and how'd you get into the whole um, drum manufacturing business? Uh, well, I grew up in Columbus, Ohio, and, you know, started drum lessons like any young kid would do. Yeah. Uh, but by nature, I'm pretty inquisitive. So, I always had a habit of taking stuff apart to see how it works. <laughs> cool. <laughs> so, so uh, you know, one of the things that kind of launched me into the drum world as far as making drums, uh, you know, drums are expensive. Yeah. You know, yeah. When, when I was young, mm-hmm. and every kid dreamed of having a Ludwig drum set. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. You know, <laughs> stuff was expensive. Yeah. You know? And you know, I started out like every other kid uh, with a secondhand drum set. Right. And they, this whole thing started with me learning how to take them apart. Oh, nice. them, repair them. Yeah. And then as a teenager, I started finding drums at yard sales. Oh, my God, yeah. Bought, right, yeah. Bought, yeah. Buy them for 10 bucks, And, <laughs> uh, you know, so I learned how to take them apart, refinish the wood that was underneath the plastic and yeah. that kind of thing. And, right. You know, a little further on, I get into being a working musician, and I, I was probably out of I was out of high school maybe a year or two. And uh, Jim Ruff and Bob Brighthop started a place called Columbus Percussion. Okay. Which you now, yeah, you now know it as uh, Columbus Pro Percussion. Okay. And I I joined up with those guys and started doing repair work there, and then uh, kind of discovered the Keller shell thing way early. Yeah. So I started ma- started building custom snare drums at, at Columbus Pro Percussion. Wow. Well, meanwhile, I'm still going through this whole thing, you know, finding stuff at yard sales and in the paper and, and buying old Radio King kits, old Ludwig kits, fixing them up and selling them and making extra money. Yeah. And one of the things I would do, uh, a buddy of mine, uh, we were, we were just total drum nuts. You know? <laughs> he, he helped me quite a bit. And we'd come over here to the percussion center in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Oh, yeah. And I would buy these drums, take them over there. The owner, Neil Graham, would, you know, he'd give me a trade-in cash form. You oh, know, and man. I would leave, you know, I would trade the drums in and and leave with new, new equipment. And I'm looking at, you know, Probably looking back, he probably thought that wasn't a very good business model. But, 
<laughs> yeah, it only once. You know, a couple times he goes, you know, fool me once, shame on, <laughs> shame on you. Yeah, exactly. Well, here, here's what happened. Uh, the percussion center was known for having very high, um, high esteemed clientele. Right. Uh, they did stuff for Rush and oh, wow. uh, Carl Palmer and several other, you know, fairly known drummers. Yeah. Uh, I got a phone call and uh, Neil Graham asked me if I'd be interested in uh, coming to work for him and relocating. Cool. And so I, that's what brought me to Fort Wayne. Wow. That is so, cool. Yeah. So from uh, 1984 to, I'm going to say 1990. Right about six years i was uh you know i was in charge of uh the custom shop and the repair shop there and immediately my direct responsibilities were the rush drum set right uh, we started doing some development work for tama and ludwig oh yeah that led it yeah that led into some other high profile stuff you know actually the kiss kit one time <laughs> so, yeah. now we're talking now we're talking <laughs> yeah when it was a Eric Carr kit. Yeah. Ludwig kit. Wow. With, uh, some specially modified shells and stuff. Yeah. And so that's that's how I kind of got my reputation. Right. Right. Well, you know, through the through the changing business climate, uh, after 1990, uh, the percussion center had some financial trouble. I wound up on my own. Right. Doing custom work on you know on the side. Meanwhile, looking for a job. Right. And I, I did eventually take a corporate job and continued to do custom work on the side. And that, that developed into, you know, around here, everyone knows me as the guy that comes to drums. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I'm doing, I'm doing this thing, uh, custom work on the side. Uh, I ended up getting a really good playing gig. Right. And it was around 2002, uh, my guitar player called me and said, Hey, have you seen this on eBay? And what it was was the original Slingerland uh, drum manufacturing, uh, the tooling to manufacture oh, their entire no. drum, sh oh, drum shell line. Oh my God, that's insane. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it was in, yeah, it was in, it was in non usable condition. Right. Okay. Okay. And at that point in time, it had a reserve of $30,000 on it. Wow. Okay. And then, you know, it never sold. Then it went down to a $10,000 reserve. <laughs> and eventually it went down to no reserve. <laughs> I, yeah, I started bidding on it. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. I think I've had that happen to me on Reverb.com. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, uh, so I started bidding on it. And I'm like, you know, before I get too far into yeah. this, I, you know, I uh, better check with somebody. I had a friend <laughs> who was a, a plant engineer at Dana. Got it. Yeah. And and I, you know, I called him up, went over to his place, and I took the pictures. I said, "Do you know anything about this kind of equipment?" Oh my God! Yeah. And he says, "Well, it's it's really specialized, and apparently it's used for processing wood." Yeah. He goes. And if you, there's no schematic diagram or no operator's manual. <laughs> of you know, course you're kind not. Of on your, yeah, I guess you're kind of on your own. <laughs> and his suggestion was to, uh, he goes, you know, there's about seven or eight thousand dollars worth of scrap there. Oh, I would no. pay a penny more than five grand for it. Right, right, yeah. 
and that that was the premise I went on. I okay. thought, well, you know, and it, it was literally a semi truck full of stuff. Oh my God! Wow! And wow! And yeah, it, and it was all on skids. Well, can I ask? Can I ask real quick? What was Slingerland yeah. in? Was it in the U.S.? Was it near Fort Wayne or in that area, or was it just some? Well, it, was in, it was in Chicago. Oh, got it. Okay, got it. All right. Wow. Yeah. Well, you know, here's where the plot thickens. Uh, after the eBay, after I won the eBay, right uh, auction, I get a call from a guy, and the company that listed was listed it was called Musical Closeouts. Okay. So this guy calls me and, you know, says, you know, are you, you sure you want this stuff? Cause I can relist it. And, and <laughs> no, I said, yeah, I, I'll take it. And it had to be, up, had to be off the premises that weekend. Oh no. Oh, no. <laughs> I could do it, man. It's, it's like December 20, December 19th. And you want it off the premises. Like Merry Christmas. <laughs> yeah. So I said, sure. I'll, I'll be, where do I have to go to pick it up? Okay. <laughs> so he read the address off to me, and it was at the Gretsch factory in Ridgeland, South Carolina. Oh man, this now is, for wow. most yeah for most of the drum people they would know that in 1983 Fred Gretsch bought uh, Slingerland Drum Company. Interesting. Yeah, I think he bought it out of receivership. Okay, it had gone bankrupt. Right. And. I assume his intentions were to restart and rebrand the Slingerland Drum Company. Right, right. Well, well that never happened. Okay. That never happened. Uh, so anyhow, I get down to the Gretsch factory, <laughs> you know, load my truck up and head on head on back to Indiana, and I've got no place to put this stuff. I had a buddy who just built a pole bar, and he let me put it in his pole bar. <laughs> he, he, he was the engineer at Dana. Oh, yeah. Cool. And, and so what happened is I stored it for the rest of that winter. Right. That spring, we got it out and started trying to figure out how it went together. Right. And, and what I literally had was, um, you know, all the drum molds, oh, uh, the inserts that went inside the molds. Right, you right. Know, I knew, I, yeah, I knew what that stuff was. Yeah, yeah. There were two of these great big uh, radio frequency uh, amplifier receivers. And... <laughs> wait a minute. Oh, wait. I, I know where you're going. Go. Keep going. Sorry, man. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, if you're if you're you know if you're uh, a guitar amplifier guy or a ham yeah. radio guy, you you would recognize it. Right. You know. Right. You know. In essence, think of think of think of it as a giant ham radio. Right. Is kind right. of what it resembles. Yeah. And it's got all these Tesla coils in it and stuff. And, <laughs> and I'm going, you know, at this point in time, I'm going, man, I, I don't know how big of a mistake I just made. <laughs> <laughs> you can take up ham radio. <laughs> yeah. So, so, you know, actually by the end of that summer, we got one of the machines kind of out in the middle of the shop floor. Right, right. We'd figured out how it went together. Oh, man. And there were all kinds of relays and circuits and switches. Jeez. And, you know, I'm telling you, man, it, it probably wasn't any different than the Roswell flying saucer <laughs> trying, to, trying to re-engineer it. And I know. It's, but that's literally, that's literally wow. what I did in essence. Right, right. And I, I spent most of my time on the Internet yeah. trying to research the equipment. Wow. Uh, I called the company that manufactured it. 
they didn't have any records of it because they were destroyed in a fire. Oh, crazy. Oh, man. And, yeah. But, you know, the lady did tell me that uh, Slingerland did buy three of those machines. Huh. And the Ludwig Drum Company bought was either three or four of them also. Oh, uh, okay. And she said that she knows they were very specialized and built only for making drums. Wow. That's crazy. So... So at one time, Slingerland had three of these machines, huh. and yeah. I had figured out that there were enough spare parts that one of the machines must have been taken out of service and parted out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Spare parts, yeah. So, yeah, next, next comes, you know, we actually get one together, huh. and, and, and my buddy Jim, he was an electrical engineer, uh, he called me one day and said, why don't you come out to the farm and we'll take a, take a look at something. Okay. I get out there, and he had... He had it hooked up to uh, electricity. Okay. And uh, he goes, turn it on. <laughs> so I flipped the switch, and, and yeah, all the, all the tubes lit up and everything. Wow. And, and therein starts the adventure. We know it turns on. Uh, we don't, no. we don't know how it works. Now, what does it do? <laughs> yeah, yeah, is that exactly. Wow. So the whole next year... You know, I went into some into some detail in another interview, but literally for about a year, it was trying to figure out exactly how you you know put wood and glue into these molds and make drums. That is crazy. And was figuring out what the operating protocol was. Right, right. Um, trying to find spare parts. Wow. The tubes are very. The tubes in it are very specific, and they're very right. hard to find, and right. very expensive. Wow. And you know, it was just like one thing after another, man. And it never, <laughs> it, by this time I'm going, man, I, you know, I'm, I'm really second guessing, <laughs> second guessing what I had done. And, uh, That's crazy. And, and so, you know, I tried to find people who worked at Slenderland. I mean, I tried everything. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's one of the things uh, I, I was going to say. Yeah. Yeah, I even had engineers from Raytheon come out and look at it. And like, man, we don't know anything about this, you know. <laughs> that's that's good. I like that. <laughs> so you know, and this literally goes on another year, mm -hmm. maybe a year and a half, and oh, I'm, I'm kind of almost at the point of giving up. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then uh, Jim calls me and says, "Hey, you got to get all that stuff out of my pole barn." Because, uh, <laughs> We're selling the farm and moving to Florida. Oh no! <laughs> so okay. Three months. Yeah, I had had about three months to find oh, a place to relocate it. Man. Oh. And this stuff wouldn't fit in an average three-car garage. Oh man. Yeah. So. Wow. I ended up I ended up finding uh finding place at a place at the old International Harvester Factory here in Fort Wayne. Oh, uh, the price yeah. on the square footage was pretty good. Yep. And I could afford it. Yep. So, you know, I spent about a month getting all this stuff out there, set up, and tried to figure out, once again, how it was working. Jeez. Well, me, now, now I'm in a situation where I've got rent and utilities. <laughs> so I, st I, started, <clears throat> I started running ads again about custom drum work and so on and so right, forth. Right, right, right. Started going back to the you know, the, the drum shows. And, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, my old boss at percussion center, he had another business called XL specialty. So he was throwing me some, he was throwing me some pretty good side jobs. To, right. Right. To right. Keep all this afloat. Wow. 
And, you know, I did that for, I literally did that for about two and a half, almost three years. Oh Meanwhile, God. still trying to figure out, I've got one, <laughs> one machine that turns on. Oh my God. And, you know, one night I was, I was out there while my kids were at soccer practice. Yeah. And, yeah. and I just, I just sat there. I thought, you know, well, you could probably appreciate this yeah. in the music business, yeah. right? Right. Uh, I thought, well, when a when a sound engineer goes into a room and tries to EQ it, right, a room he's never been in before, yeah, you know, you'll run everything flat and up the middle. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. So I thought that was a pretty good place to start, right? Because these machines have several several dials and knobs and calibrations on them. Right. So what I did is I just put everything straight up in the middle, and put some wood and glue into the mold. You know, inflated it, oh. hit the go button, and bam, all the lights come on, the gauges come up. Oh, no. A, yeah, oh. I was making a humming noise. Oh. And, oh. Uh, the, yeah, the cycle timer started running. Oh, man. Wow. Okay. Wow. So now it's running. And I'm like, now what do you do next? <laughs> well, that, that, that cycle, yeah, that cycle times out. Right, and, right. Uh, I, I go to take the bladder out of the mold. Right. And it's all glued to the inside of the mold. Oh no! Oh no! Oh. <laughs> and there was there was no way to get it apart. Oh. Puncture the bladder. Yeah, yeah. This, yeah. this in turn led to me learning how to build my own bladders, learning how to reline cool. them. Very cool. And then then I set out to find. Well, you you can't just use veneer that you buy it. Right. You know, Lowe's or Home Depot. Right. <laughs> so I started yeah. started you know looking for a source for that. Right. And, and I did find a guy who had a a skid of walnut oh. it was like 10 feet long and four foot high oh man and he goes give me a hundred bucks for it wow i'm like sure yeah you know? yeah <laughs> i actually still have a bunch of it left oh, that's beautiful but yeah so i started just i mean literally for a year experimenting on how to make drum shells how to put wow. flies together how to build panels wow and then you know another drummer buddy of mine goes he come to have he come to have me fix a drum set for him. Okay. Had some broken stuff on it. Right. And he, he goes, well, you know, my dad was a uh, wood spotter for uh, this company over here. And wow. And yeah. He goes, I, he goes, I, he goes, I used to go with him. I know, I know what you're looking for. I go, well, Bob, where do I get it at? <laughs> so he goes, he, he got in his, he got in his book and pulled out a number and right. wrote it down and said, call this guy, tell him, you know me. And, uh, and he'll set you up. Okay. So I called this guy, and this guy runs a, uh, a rotary cut veneer mill oh, 75 miles from here. Perfect. And perfect. I drove over there, and uh, he, he, he knew a lot about what I was doing. Yeah, you know? right, right. He, yeah. So he says, well, I'll tell you what. Uh, why don't you give me... Why don't you give me two hundred bucks and take this uh, these two skids of wood and we'll load it up for you because okay. this is what you're going to be looking for. Got it. Yeah. So I so I left there with a couple skids of maple and poplar. Okay. Kind of like the dimensions I wanted and stuff. And, right. And uh, started started building shelves from that day out. And wow. To be quite honest, man, they, they started looking really really good, like original Slingerland shelves. Wow, that's cool. Yeah. And uh, meanwhile, while all this is going on, uh, I got with the Indiana Center for Small Business Development, uh, developed the business plan. Right, right. And 
yeah, it was a three-stage business plan. And one of the things she said, she says, are there any trade shows like this? I said, well, yeah, there's this thing called the NAM show. Right, yeah. And she, she goes, when is it? I go, well, it's like, you know, two months from now. She goes, you need to get in that NAM show and go <laughs> take your shelves there and Good. get out there. Wow. So, I, yeah, I did my first NAM show in 2011. Okay. And so I go into the NAM show. And I'm, you know, I got a table, tablecloth. Uh, I sent, you know, maybe 25 or 30 shells out there. I stacked them up on the table and right. I go, okay, well, I'm done. <laughs> While everyone else is, they spent the night setting their booths up. I come in the next morning and my shells are scattered everywhere and they got fingerprints all over. Oh, them. no. I'm like, what the hell? You know? <laughs> oh, man. So, you know, I stack them all back up and what then the? the show opens and. And as the day progressed, the very first day, people would come by and they go, well, where'd you get these shells? I go, well, I made them. Wow. And they said, well, you made them? I said, well, yeah. They go, well, it's not a Keller shell? And I go, no, no, oh, I, I made these. Wow. Then then I started developing a story. I said, well, you know, I bought the original Swindlerland tooling, yada, yada, yada. And yeah, yeah. Tell, tell the story. Yeah. Every time I would mention the word Swindlerland, the eyes would get real big. Right, right, yeah. By the end of the yeah, by the end of the day, I just had crowds of people over there, and a lot of, there was a lot of people that I actually knew, you right? Know, like Rob Cook from uh, uh, Rebeats and stuff, right? And and then the word got out that I was the guy who owned all this equipment that had been purchased nearly ten years ago. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess a lot of I guess a lot of vintage drum guys had been you know. <laughs> trying to find out who had bought this stuff. You, you, were like a uni- I, I, you were like a unicorn, man. You were a myth. People yeah. are like, Where, who is this guy? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, you know, like I said, I'm fairly, fairly well-known in the business anyhow. Right, right. To my percussion center experience, and then everything just sort of snowballed from there. Right, right. Uh, you know, the first year I just had drum shells, and, you know, my business plan was to kind of sell those to all these boutiques you know, drum companies. Right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. one thing I didn't realize is that the market's not that strong. Okay, yeah. I thought, I thought, there's 5,000 boutique drum builders. Wow, I didn't, that's incredible. Yeah. Yeah, these these guys want, uh, you know, one or two at a time. Okay, yeah. Then they want you to price match, and I'm like, oh man, I can't do that. Yeah, It's got that much in material. Right, right. Well, the second stage, the next year, I went back to the NAM show with snare drums and a drum set. And nice. And the official name of the company was Stone Custom Drum. And, right, right. And I did all the legal book work and everything. And I thought, well, since I have a lineage to a great American company, right. Uh, uh, I thought that Black Oval was a nice thing to be, you know, representative of that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And what what I had done is. I'd research it and I'd found out that that you know well I knew Gibson Guitar had owned the Slingerland brand name. Ah, interesting. They, they had a yeah, and in the '90s, Slingerland, the Slingerland brand was resurrected by Gibson. Okay. And it fell flat on its face. It wasn't a very good launch, and apparently, the reason it wasn't successful was all these diehard Slingerland people wanted a Slingerland shell, a maple uh, poplar three ply and a maple poplar five ply. Right, right. And that's that contributed to the failure of the relaunching of Slingerland. Interesting. Wow. So what I had started what I had done is I started 
researching all this and I found out that the only thing that was ever brand protected was uh, a couple of iconic Slingerland names and right. the Slingerland name itself. Okay. And there was no protection on that uh, black oval. Oh, so right. So I set forth to make that my official trademark and went through all the correct channels. I paid a lot of money to have attorneys research it yeah. and lock it up. Yeah. And then it went through a year of uh, where it could be challenged and probated. Right, right. Not nothing. Nobody wow. ever opposed it. And, and by the way, let me say, if anyone hasn't seen it, you got to see that. That is iconic. You're right. That 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 black yeah. oval is amazing. That's really really nice. Yeah, for me, you know, that was the first thing I would recognize when I would see a drummer on TV. I would look for yeah, Slingerland logo or the Ludwig logo. Right, right, right. And and so you know what a and by fortune, you know. They didn't protect it. I've got it. Wow, got nice. The other piece of the puzzle is the ability to make the drums. Right. And ever since then, I've been uh, doing my own shells, selling to other builders. Uh, I've got a nice little factory here in Fort Wayne. It's about 5,000 square feet. Nice, nice. Uh, we were doing some selling. Uh, we were doing some selling through Sweetwater here in Fort Wayne. Right, yeah, uh, yeah, that's right. They're down there, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, but what I do, I'm really all about. I'm really all about uh, doing a lot of custom builds. Right, right. But I'm yeah. also set up to run production. Oh, interesting, know? interesting. And that's what that's where the Sweetwater thing kind of kind of fell in. Yeah, that that now that, that was a question I was going to have for you. I, I know. Okay, you can you can do snares. You can do, but but kits is that that's probably the mass production for you. You know, and mass. I'm using that you know literal and not literally, but but that that's well, interesting. That, that and there are a couple of other shell designs I know how to manufacture that other companies use. Right, so I right. do OEM shells for other companies. Okay, got it. I, I even do banjo shells for a company. Oh, interesting. And, you know, that kind of work I really, really like because I don't have to do a lot of final fit and finish. Right, yeah, yeah. Uh, but, you know, one of my clients is in Japan, and they're, they're extremely, extremely demanding and picky on what the final drum shell itself looks like. Okay, got it. So, huh. you know, so, some of the stuff that's a no-go for them, I'm like, well, man, I would use that. I yeah. have a problem using that. <laughs> <laughs> well, well let, me, let me ask, man, at this point, because it's interesting, you mentioned Japanese market and, and, you know, any international market. I mean, what what is your, I mean, what are you known for? What is it, is it your tone? Is it the craftsmanship? What What's part of that, that you know, um, the, the stone drum, you know, kind of, mystique or brand image out there uh, be quite honest with you i i don't think i've ever gotten a negative right negative comment on anything i've built in the last 20 years wow nice, uh, nice. other than i had some stuff damaged in shipping at sweetwater right right but but as far as uh the sound quality of the drums uh, it's right there be quite honest with you I've, do, I've done my homework i know which woods are the right woods to use right I know exactly how to lay them out. Uh, I have an extremely proprietary procedure that I follow. Okay. And it's really, it really goes into accordance with how Renaissance-era Italian violins were manufactured. Oh, man. Nice. Nice. So I, 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 I'm pretty familiar with the science and the physics behind the way that stuff was constructed, and I incorporate that into every drum build that I do. Oh, that's cool. That's really you cool. Know, uh, my marketing guy, who was a marketing guy at Sabian, 
Yep. He said, well, why do you do this? Huh. I said, well, I do this because if you're going to make a drum set, you want every instrument in the drum set to complement each other. Right. So that's why you want them to be all built from the same material. Yeah, yeah, you know, true, if, true. And that's exactly how I do it. Right. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm curious, you know, what what's your favorite wood? I mean, I I've, I've seen on your website. I know that you're doing some things with cherry. I mean, by the way, beautiful, absolutely beautiful. The finish on a lot of your kits. Um, but but what's your favorite? What do you like to work with? You know, my absolute favorites uh cherry and koa. Right. You know, koa exterior and interior. Right. The solid cherry. Uh, you know, the stone reso core we call it. Right. Uh. For some reason, man, it just has a remarkable sound. Right. And and I have to believe part of it is the cherry that I harvest. I harvest it regionally. Oh wow, nice. So it's it's a species that's only found around here in nice. the Great Lakes area. Yeah. And the other is, you know, how I get it cut at the mill. Right. Right. And then of course, I mean, you really can't go wrong with uh, the traditional three ply. I call it Chicago style drum shell. Okay. Which, and the reason I call it that, and it's been, it's been pretty much uh, coined to my company now. Chicago style shell is because when when Leedy, Ludwig, and Slingerland, the three greatest drum makers, right, were in the Chicago area. Oh man, nice. Yeah, and it's that real traditional, probably the most widely recognized sound in the world, the most widely recorded sound in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Because from 1920s all the way through the 1970s, yep. uh, that shell that shell design was used by Ludwig Leedy and Slingerland. Wow! And everybody from uh, Benny Goodman, you know Gene Krupa, right, to uh, Ringo Starr, yeah, use drums with that kind of construction. Yeah, I was going to say a buddy of mine has a 58 Ludwig set, that classic like Ringo had, you know, that kind of um, gray, black, white kind of mirrored, you know, finish, and, yeah. and that that the tone on those is incredible to this day 1958 he still rocks that set you know and it sounds incredible so yeah like i said the most widely recognized sound right right everybody and the most recorded type of drum shell by everybody right right so when you when you do it in the cherry man it's it's unbelievable Wow. It's literally unbelievable how good they sound. And for those of you who haven't, you got to go to his website and check out, I mean, you know, go to Stone Custom Drums, you guys. The, the cherry finish, it's on fire. I mean, it's it, it actually looks beautiful. Just It looks like a piece of art. So, and it, and it, sound, and it, you know, and it sounds great, you know, and so there you have it. <laughs> you got both ends covered. Oh, yeah. So. Well, the most amazing thing about the cherry drums, and I discovered this by accident, literally. Literally. Right. It was, uh, uh, you, you know, maple maple and maple poplar and birch, we all know those characteristics. The maple's real bitey, has a lot of stick attack. Right, right. Kind of a bright sound. The birch is kind of a, kind of a, you know, a low, uh, low fat sound. Okay. Well, the cherry, cherry has nice stick attack, but it's not overbearing. Right. It has nice, nice fat resonance. So That's you've got this sound, you have all this, have all this, have this nice attack. You've got all this, all this colorful tone, and the the most remarkable thing about it is, you have that whether you're swatting them with two Bs and playing ACDC, right, right, or you're playing jazz on brushes. Wow, it's it's there through the full spectrum. That's I've never incredible. Heard, yeah, I've never heard any kind of wood that has those characteristics, 
And yeah. I've been screaming about this for 10 years now. And I, I think I was probably the first guy to really start using cherry. Yeah. The Mapex. Right, right. But, but the, you know, the Mapex drums are like, it's like an Asian cherry and it's not really quite the same. Yeah, yeah. It, it's funny you said that. I, you know, I, I, I mean, a lot of stories, but I, I used to mess around with um, wooden boats from the late 50s. And I had a um, Thompson uh, mahogany, but it was oh, made yeah. with American mahogany. And when I went to a, to a, uh, um, you know, a, a boat place, you know, in, in Chicago, actually, went um, to get some wood, the guy had one piece of the American mahogany left. He said, this is it. After this, you know, you got to go with the Asian stuff. He goes, but this is the stuff you want. And and the difference was insane, how beautiful it was. The, you wow, know, you got me, you, yeah, you've got me on that one because I've never heard of American mahogany. Yeah, yeah, it was really old. The boat was a 1952. Two, I believe, and yeah, so it, it it was insane how beautiful. Made up in Wisconsin, Peshtigo, Wisconsin. There you go, another American-made oh, yeah. company. Oh, and then the crazy part of that story was Thompson, Chris of um of Chris Craft. He was a Thompson, so he started Chris Craft. His dad did outboards. He said, "Hey, I'm going to do inboard motors," and he started his own company, and that's where that beautiful finish came. Those woods. Oh. So I can appreciate that with your drums, man. They're absolutely beautiful. So I've got to hear a set, man. I'm gonna have to I have to come down and see you. I got to hear this. <laughs> so. Yeah, well, I'm kind of kind of starting to restructure things a little bit. Right, right. Uh, two years ago, I suffered a severe shoulder injury. Oh, and I'm no. really just now Ouch. kind of rehabbing from that. Right, right. And it's it set me back quite a bit. Okay. Um, and I'm really looking at going with online sales only. And I've already started right. my reverb store, but I haven't launched it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, got it, got it. And... I'm really looking at doing that actually in the next month. Okay. I'm, I'm trying to decide on how I want to, you know, what what items I want to put on there first. Right, right. And and how I want to list it. Yeah. And, so and I'm, I'm putting a little thought into that. Yeah. And I got to ask, um, I, not to get in the weeds here, but, but you know, it's got to be important too how you're packing those up, right? I mean, shipping then becomes a whole, yeah, another, that, the whole other part of your game. So. Yeah, that, that was kind of an issue with Sweetwater because I was kind of, you know, I don't know if it was, I, I didn't understand it right. I was told that they would handle the packing, just get them over there. Right, right, okay. Well, I had some issues that way. Yeah. And when I started packing everything and putting them in, you know, I spent a lot of money on double-sided boxes. Right, right. This stuff was packed right. And, and I would still get the occasional, you know, damage, damage and shipping. Okay. And I actually got one of the customers on the phone. He said, well, it wasn't in your box at all. Oh no! Yeah, yeah. I said, well, what kind of box was it in? And it's like some other. I, I and I kind of took issue with you know. Right, right. I know what the stuff's going to go through, so I pack it. Right, properly. Anyhow. Yeah, yeah. Well, so this is amazing, and I think you've kind of answered this question. You know, with with all the different elements, the woods, the the machine that you purchased, the you know how long you've been doing this. But but Bernie, got to ask, man. You know. Um, one, why made in America? I mean, why is it important to you? You know, I, it, it's that's the question that we keep asking. You know, people who manufacture here in the country. You know, why is why is it made in America important to to you and to Stone Custom Drums? Well, you know what? Why it's really important to me is from when I was a little kid, when you saw a little toy or something that said "Made in USA" or "Made in America." Right. That that automatically meant that it was better than being anywhere made anywhere else. Yep, you got and, it, man. Exactly. And, and we've kind of lost that. Right, you know? right. And we've kind of lost, you know, the American factory worker 
was considered the best, you know, yep. the best factory worker in the world. Right, right. And, and, you know, another thing that's kind of gone away from Made in America is, you know, in the 80s, you saw a lot of this. Uh, guys, uh, you know, they graduate from uh, business college. They take over a Fortune 500 company, right. sell it off. You know, and the guy that started that Fortune 500 company, he started as a male you know, in the yeah. mail room and yeah. build it into a Fortune 500 company. Right, right, right. You, yeah. you don't see that anymore, but yeah. I think you're going to see it more in the future because I went to a Made in America trade show right. in October. Yes, yes. And you're starting to see people like myself who started the company and the company grows and grows and grows. And you're still uh, there. Like I said, yep. yeah, you don't see the guy who started in the mail room and now he's the CEO. Right, right. The guy, guy that started it with his last 500 bucks. Yeah, yeah. You know? Or, or a week before Christmas with uh, <laughs> with a semi-trailer full of parts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, you know, that, that whole thing was, uh, like I said, it, it you could really equate it to oh, yeah. Boswell crash. And, and building a flying saucer. <laughs> well, I hey man, I just wanted to say though, congratulations. Um, you know, uh, incredible story, man. I, I got to get down there to Fort Wayne, man. There's got to be, see, has to be something in the water. But I want to get down there, man. I got to check out, you know, some of your drums, man. I look forward to it. And um, this has been unreal. So Bernie Stone, thanks, man. It's really been been cool getting to know you. Great to hear your story. And Matt, good luck with the online business. I think you're going to do really well with it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I appreciate it. And uh, thanks for having me on. I, sure. I look forward to listening to the rest of the uh, people you're going to have in the future. Yeah. Because this is, this is what I'm all about. I'm always listening and learning to find yeah. out who's doing what. So. You got it, man. No, no, I'm, I, I'm, I'm really honored to be doing this. And I'm meeting people like you across the country. And it's just incredible. I mean, everything, like I said, you know, from watches to, to, you know, to drums, to bicycles. So, and, and you know what, well, and we're going to go even deeper, you know, there's going to be, who knows what's coming up next. So nice. Oh, I know. I know. It, uh, keep it up and keep supporting the American entrepreneur. Sounds good. Thanks brother. Yeah. Thank you. All right. All right. Thanks, Chris. You take care, Bernie. Take care, man. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. Man, what American entrepreneurs won't do to get the job done. Bernie literally had to rebuild the alien spacecraft from Roswell, New Mexico to make his signature stone tone drums. I can't wait to visit his shop in Fort Wayne to see those cherry drums on fire. Hey, thanks again for tuning in to this episode and join us next time for more stories that are made in America. Made in America